Hello everybody, welcome back to the WTF1 podcast. It's the last one of the year. 2020 is officially coming to an end and we thought it was a great idea to talk you through the 2020 season. But it's not just me, it never is. We have Tommy, the WTF1 founder, and Katie, the WTF1 editor. Both of you, thank you for joining me after Christmas. Are you feeling plump? Feeling festive. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, festive is a good one. I loved my... Let's just stick with had that. Plenty of, plenty of sprouts and, you know, the, the best the best thing on the Christmas dinner. So, yeah. Well, I had to roll, roll all the way to my, um, to my seat now to, to do the WTF1 podcast. So, uh, yeah, definitely definitely feeling worse for wear now but it was great at the time and the fact that you rated sprouts so highly on your christmas list tommy it makes me feel sick but we're not going to get into that that's not what we're talking about today we're talking about the 2020 f1 season and some key moments from the year so the three word race reviews race reviews season reviews (laughs) there's no races anymore aaron underscore w01 better than expected Orstographer underscore underscore Hambotver Degosta Castro 14 like a roller coaster Pierre underscore Dalla Piccola crazy midfield fights and Dan Ciziri unexpected and expected very difficult to do a three word season review isn't it um, because so much has happened so many highs and lows such a crazy year um, do you think that does it justice Tommy what, what those five reviews yeah, I think it does. I, I I totally agree with the expected and unexpected. We'll go into sort of how we rate 2020, but it's been a strange year where it's managed, for me, it's managed to be the most predictable season ever, yet also the most unpredictable season ever. It's really strange. So is Dan Ciziri your like alias account then? Unexpected and unexpected. Yeah, it's my you just wanted another three, three seats. Yeah, it's just you, isn't it? You, yeah, just, yeah, you yeah. just love getting involved. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, Katie. No, I was just going to say, I agree. I think when we'll talk about it, but when Australia was cancelled, we all sort of thought, is this season even going to happen this year? Um, but we've had so much unpredictability, but at the same time, seen the same kind of guys winning. So it has been a great season, though. But we'll talk more about that in a I minute. Just thought, I just thought of something quite funny. When we did our first podcast, which feels for the, for the season, uh, for I think it was pre-Australia, I remember when we were sorting the podcast thumbnail out and we were talking about um, COVID and not really knowing how serious it was going to be or if it was cancelled, if it was going to be cancelled. And there are a lot of talks that may be cancelled or we didn't really know at the time. But I remember the thumbnail for that was a picture of it. We put an empty grandstand and saying, will the season go ahead? I think we did as our thumbnail. And I remember at the time we were like, is that too dramatic? Are we sort of being a bit ridiculous here? And then it turned out that, that pretty much was what happened in Australia. But then also dramatic because we had 17 races, which is ridiculous to even think. I can't so, believe we did. Yeah, I think yeah. that's been one of the main things is that we're, we're all completely baffled by the fact that we had 17 races this season. Obviously, we finished only a couple of weeks before Christmas, uh, which uh, is also unseen and unheard of. But Formula One did an amazing job. Uh, you can't you can't take anything away from them on that side of things. You know, the, getting the logistics in place must have been one hell of a nightmare um but let's talk about the season was 2020 a great season aiden underhill comes in with a question where does this season rank out of all the years you've been fans for me it's right up there it is a difficult one it depends what you measure your enjoyment of this season on if you're measuring it on a championship fight it's a low one it's a not a great it's not a great season and you don't enjoy it and yeah okay we had some banging races but overall the championship context which is the main thing there wasn't really a story there but how i see it which is more about race by race i'm a neutral as much as everyone thinks i'm not a neutral like i just want to see great racing fair enough there are a few drivers i'd like to see do well but there's there's not that for me, when I was a kid, when I was watching Shumi, if Shumi was out the race, I'd lose interest. Whereas this, it doesn't really bother me that much. And the fact that we had so many iconic races that we will remember until we're old and grey, I think that in itself makes 2020 an amazing season. You know, the likes of Turkey, that's something that we've never seen before. Um, and, and, to, and to go back to such classic, iconic tracks that, to be honest, I don't think we would have seen for many years to come. Uh, in an, in normal circumstances, and perhaps never for some of them. Perhaps Turkey will never see again. But I, for me, it was an amazing season. It was nostalgic, and 
it was it was one that I'll definitely remember for both good and bad reasons. Yeah, it's maybe maybe a little unpopular, but I don't think the on track action was maybe as amazing um, as other seasons that we've had in, in the past. That we had some amazing races. It seemed like this year there was sort of almost no middle ground where the race was either absolutely dreadful and nothing happened or it would take one tiny thing monza for example of you know a safety car and it just threw the whole thing into chaos and i feel like that that is almost like an occurring theme now um with with this season but i'd go i'd go even further with what you were saying that we obviously live and breathe formula 1 and there's a lot more to it than just the races don't get me wrong the first thing and most important thing for me in F1 will always be enjoyable races. But I think the fact that you had all these, um, like this amazing drama off track as well, you know, having the, the new winners, Russell going into a Mercedes for a race, new tracks, the silly season was absolutely so much drama, nuts. wasn't it? It was, it was, it was just, it was just, it was drama. The, the narrative of the season. And I, I think best racing season ever. No, most memorable i think everyone's going to remember 2020 just because of the, just the drama like you say there was so much going on all season it seemed like you wouldn't go a, even th- even when there wasn't racing on three days without some kind of ridiculous and huge formula one story happening it certainly kept me in a job that's for sure because <laughs> every other every other day it was like oh my goodness this news has broken this is that like happened a silly season or whatever or so and so's got covid um i think if you had said to me what are your three wishes for the 2020 season obviously one of them would be to make sure that everybody's safe and healthy with the covid but more race winners is always something that us fans are wanting and more people on the podium when we got 13 different podium finishes this year to visit new locations because I think because we travel to the same places every year we've said it before on the podcast you know teams have heaps and heaps of data they know exactly what to do if it's a relatively smooth race and it can become very predictable and you know, as much as I hate to associate the word boring with F1, races can become quite dull. So to have these new locations meant that we didn't know what was going to be going into, you know, a race weekend. Yes, we could probably guess that Hamilton or or Mercedes were going to be dominant. But in some cases, that wasn't what happened. And I think that it was great. And also I said on here, my other wish would be a good title fight, which I've put lol in brackets because that just didn't happen, did it? But overall, I think it answered a lot of prayers for fans in that, yes, the racing, like you say, the actual fighting on track, we didn't get these amazing overtaking battles at every single race. But there are so many good races and big highlights that have happened throughout 2020 that, you know, in 10 years, 20 years, we'll look back upon and say, oh, do you remember in 2020 when we went back to, I don't know, Turkey, like you say, or we went to Portimao or, um, I don't know, we had these ridiculous races and crammed into such a tiny little schedule. I mean, we had the, the triple header towards the end of the year, which unfortunately there's another one of those coming up next year. But just to have so many races in such quick succession was amazing as fans. But for those of us that worked in F1, my God, I was exhausted after it finished. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can uh, only imagine how people actually down on the ground felt yeah. as uh, they finished uh, in Abu Dhabi, but not even crossed the line because they would have then had to pack up. But when they got home after that and hopefully get back to their families for Christmas, uh, it's... Well, some didn't, did they? If they were trying to travel back certain places, yeah, it's just been an awful year. But the, the fact that we've been able to I say we, that Formula One as a sport has been able to, to put this on for us is has been nothing short of incredible. Um, and hats off to every single person. I know some uh, F1 personnel for some reason listen to this podcast. Um, well done. Uh, it's been uh, it's been incredible to see. And your dedication, of course, hasn't gone unnoticed by fans or I hope the teams as well. Um Speaking of COVID, obviously it mixed up the calendar this year. We've mentioned it. Uh, Donald Ames comes in with a question. Anything you'd carry over from the COVID era into future non-COVID seasons? Tighter schedule, changes to locations, back-to-backs. For me, I don't think a tighter schedule, as much as I got used to a Formula One race pretty much being on every single weekend, it's not 
it's not feasible. You know, that was done purely for an emergency situation. Um, I think in terms of the scheduling, it should be as as it was. I know they're still trying to creep in more and more races and it's getting a little bit ridiculous in terms of uh, what's expected from Formula One teams. Uh, but I, I'm all for changes to locations. I'm all for having a, a mystery track or, a, you know, just an icon. Just one a year, an iconic track comes back uh, that they put all the, the resource behind uh, to make it happen because I feel like that's something that, you know, it mixes the, the season up a little bit. It, it keeps it interesting. And I think it's something that it does genuinely just spice up what would be a normal, you know, solid calendar that we're used to most of the time. I know we do get new, new tracks, although those new tracks are very questionable. Um, but I, I'm all for keeping the history of the sport you know they're so into keeping monaco because of its heritage well what, what about bringing the other uh, tracks that have, have brought so much history to the sport that have just been pushed to the wayside that, as long as it doesn't cost too much money i think they should do it yeah i think the the obvious one there and i'm sure 99 percent of fans would answer this question with the very same thing that we just we just got to see formula one in new locations and new tracks and it just made it made it so much more exciting, like like we mentioned in in the previous questions. In terms of the schedule itself, um, it's an odd, it's an odd one because the the off season, I guess in theory we had a, almost a longer off season because it's weird to think that this season started in July. Was it July or yeah, June? I can't July. quite remember, but July. Um, so it's really tightly packed. So essentially, you did almost a full season in half a year. And then had half a year of not racing, um, which I'm sure the teams uh, maybe wouldn't have minded having a bit longer of an off season. But then the thing is, you spread out if you spread out a 23 race season and you're having gaps, there's not really a gap to do anything anyway in the in the two week gap, whereas I'm sure team personnel and stuff would much rather have a longer off season and then just go absolutely ham for for it um so yeah i I think the the obvious the obvious answer is just new tracks but unfortunately i don't think that's going to happen again i think you're probably right tommy unfortunately i mean when the calendar got announced i think they did the first initial rescheduled calendar which was something like eight races because if you didn't know f1 needed to complete eight races this year to be you know completed as a world championship so they could crown a world champion which would be in Hamilton. three continents right um i'm not sure they say that but i don't think that it was didn't happen, did it? i think it's just it uh, well asia europe and Asia, Europe, and no, didn't do Americas. They didn't do South America. They didn't do. It's interesting because it when it was first and... formed, it had to be three continents over eight races. But then, yeah, that was what the. I guess. Yeah. I guess they can. They can change the rules if they want to. Yeah, I think. I yeah, mean, it's not. It... Gonna, they're not going to say it doesn't count. Yeah, exceptional <laughs> <Imagine>. circumstances. <laughs> At the end of the year, they go. Uh, oh, who's going to tell Lewis that this championship doesn't count and he doesn't have the record? Yeah. Sorry, uh, we, <laughs> they we do the up. whole prize ceremony and they're, they're like, "This isn't real." Psych. Wait, we didn't race in America. Oh no, this was just a rehearsal for 2021. <laughs> um, oh, sorry, imagine. Katie, were you, were you anything adding anything there? Uh, no, I was just going to say, you know, we're talking about the the calendar and things when it was announced that we had you know the two races at the red bull ring and then hungary uh, great britain spain and belgium and things like that looking back because i rewatched all of the highlights yesterday um and you know austria started off as a great race whether that's because it was the first race back and everybody's like that first day back at school everybody's quite excited and then the races you know took a bit of a dip and were quite dull and i mean there was the the race in silverstone where you know everybody's tires seemed to just explode at the last lap and then it took another dip. But then when we started visiting the older tracks, with the exception of Monza, which obviously we go to anyway, places like Mugello, um, Nürburgring, Portugal, uh, Imola, Turkey, those races are the standout races of the season for me anyway. I'm not sure if the fans will agree. but And they're the ones that we went to that we haven't been to in years and years, or if ever. So I think it says a lot that for me, the best races of the year were the ones where we hadn't been to in a long time or before but it could just be chance even even the even Sakir as yeah. well oh yeah you know, Sakir. so yeah 
that's another thing uh i will add not not just new locations but new track layouts i think we said it on yeah, uh, yeah the exactly. last that, and that's something that Bring can be layouts. done at some circuits easily right you know paul yeah, ricard yeah. i mean that is the one of the worst races we've ever seen around there and they've got about fifteen thousand different track layouts just try something else because that's not working um and it just shows that that we don't want it to become a fast i get it like we don't want to have sakir short seven times a year because it is a bit of a lottery and but, but at the same time we need to, to change it up especially if if a track layout is not proving to be great like we mentioned before with the Asmarina circuit th- th- there needs to be a a chat about it whether there is or not that be behind closed doors but i certainly think there should be and I agree with you, Tommy, uh, changes to the track layouts. Not massive ones, but just looking at problem areas of tracks, <coughs> Catalonia, last chicane, uh, and then just, you know, seeing what happens. I think that uh, that would be a good start. Um, so let's cast our minds. Uh, Katie did mention it uh, briefly there. Melbourne being cancelled and the new season opener in Austria, uh, which was, feels like four years ago now. Um, Masroor underscore Parkar says how different would the season have gone in terms of Alex Alban if he won that first race in Austria and Hamilton not yeeting him off no different I think it would have just been a very much a hero to zero thing to be honest uh, where he would have got a win but it, it, it wouldn't have changed I don't think his lack of clear understanding in how to make that car work I know that there's elements of oh yeah but his confidence would have been high I mean he had two podiums and then pretty much backed that up with a poor performance or, you know, there wasn't anything. It wasn't like he continued his run of form after getting a great result in, uh, in Mugello, for example. So for me, I don't think it would change anything. Uh, it would have just been Alex Albon, right place, right time. Uh, and the rest of the season would have panned out pretty much the same. We interrupt this WTF1 podcast for a very quick chat about our sponsor for this episode. And you will have heard of them before. It's Express VPN. ExpressVPN is a simple app for your computer or smartphone that encrypts all your network data and tunnels it through a secure VPN server so your internet service provider cannot see any of your activity. Just think about how much of your life is on the internet. Sadly, every site you visit, video you watch or message you send gets tracked by internet service providers. They can then hand over your information to government agencies even when you've done nothing wrong. That's why I recommend ExpressVPN as the best way to hide your online activity. You just download the app, tap one button on your device and you're protected. And ExpressVPN does all of this without slowing your connection. That's why it's rated the number one VPN service by TechRadar and Wired. So stop handing over your personal data and protect yourself with the VPN I trust to keep me private online. Visit expressvpn.com slash WTF1. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash WTF1 to get three months extra free. Right, back to the podcast. I think if you look, I was looking back at Alex Albin's results. After Austria, where obviously you can argue that he lost a win, um, it wasn't that bad. I know he was not on the pace compared to Max, but he finished fourth, fifth, Hold on. eighth, and fifth. Not that, that bad. You, we that can't, bad. Look, people are going to be coming in the comments saying, Tommy, you and Matt have been roasting Alban for the entire season. No, how do you, no, how no, do you no, respond no, to no, that? No, no. And then go, actually, it wasn't I've that not, bad. Because I've not finished my point, Matthew. <laughs> yes, but you triggered me. <laughs> Anyway, okay. Sorry. Well, it did trigger but, uh, me. You triggered the the fans in my head that I could see them yeah. writing it. Anyway, yeah, carry on. yeah. But I think the real pressure point came in Monza because if you look at his results after Monza, yeah, like you say, he got the Mugello podium, but then tenth retired, twelfth, fifteenth, and I don't think he really recovered from that. It's it's difficult. And some of them because were crazy is... races as well, weren't they? Like, yeah, Monza. That, that's Monza? the thing. Uh, Monza was he was, like Monza was crazy yeah. and he was nowhere I know Red Bull aren't particularly great there but you know even even <laughs> Sakir I can't <laughs> yeah but it's not the same car is it Sakir um, Sakir is one of those where I think Alban finished 6th or 7th can't quite six, remember what yeah. it is and you go and you go okay 6 is fine but when no Mercedes and Verstappen and Leclerc are in the race. Six isn't a good result. But the thing what is, Albon... me at the start of the secure short one and it had been like absolute chaos and Albon had made no positions up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because he started quite short. low. It, I think he... Was it the normal one? It was the normal... Uh, no, I can't it was remember which one. Yeah, it, it, it was, was one Sakir. Yeah, he didn't make up any 
places with all the chaos at the start, which you're kind of like, surely that should have been where he went. But uh, I'm slightly disagree. I think if Albon had won the race, because I'm I'm still adamant that the move on Lewis was more Albon's fault than it was Hamilton's. Um, I'm still willing to die on that hill. Um, <laughs> but I think if he'd have won that race, he would have at least proved to Red Bull that given the opportunity, he can take it. Um, and I think it would have been a much harder situation for Red Bull to drop him if he'd have got a win. But the fact that he didn't win and like you mentioned in in the um, previous podcast, you know, uh, Albon couldn't have written a worse script that the two people he's competing for a seat against won, won races <laughs> in midfield cars. It, it couldn't have gone any worse for him. So I think if he'd have won that race, I personally think he, he might have had a chance and maybe, maybe you know, he'd have been more confident and improved. Yeah, I think with with the race I mean getting knocked out when you could like you say argue that he was on his way to a win with 10 laps to go must be a real kick in the nuts but he then you know came back from that and like you say fourth fifth then eighth fifth eighth sixth and then it gets to Monza and like you say I think that's the the point where his season just sort of crumbled away but then you could also argue like Matt said that you know looking at what Verstappen was achieving in that time those results are still disappointing but it's funny because I was watching back the season, like I said yesterday, and there are some really amazing overtakes that Albon did in the season. And I think, oh, like, I'll make a note of that. And then I look back and I think, well, hang on a minute. That's a good overtake, but that's for like 11th and Verstappen is up in second. And it's things like that. Yes, you know, things like pit stops have probably put him in that position. But for most of the season, he's just, he's not had that pace and hasn't been able to keep up with Verstappen. I'm sure having Verstappen as a teammate seems like an impossible task. I mean, look at Valtteri Bottas and how it has been for him having Lewis Hamilton as a teammate. You know, it's very evident that you're a number two in that team. And to have the mental strength to approach every single weekend, like, I can beat this person, even though they are arguably, you know, the best in F1 at the time. That's, you know, I, I admire that. Fair enough, because I don't think I'd have the mental strength to do that. I just think, well... Um, rubbish and <laughs> all that sort of thing but I think that he's just had a shocker of a year and I mean I I know that we haven't talked to, I haven't been on the podcast since it was announced but obviously Albon is now no longer in a seat and Perez has taken that seat I think that was undeniably the correct decision Red Bull made but I don't know. Maybe we'll see Albon in F1 again, but if we do, I think it will probably be in, in quite a while because at the moment, I don't think anybody really is that keen to bring on somebody like Albon when he's had such a shocker of a year in a car, which, you know, Max Verstappen at one point was fighting for second in the championship. So I don't know. That's my, yeah. my point. <laughs> yeah. I think, um, well, Red Bull have kind of hinted at the fact that, you know, 2022, maybe that's when uh, they bring Albon back in, maybe a year of learning, that sort of stuff. Um, because obviously Perez is, is the right decision without a shadow of a doubt. And Perez will also give us a great indicator as to whether that second driver seat is cursed or not. If he's up there with Verstappen, like Weber, Ricardo, that kind of, um, uh, sorry, Weber to Vettel uh, matching kind of thing where it's you know a few tenths here and there Weber will win a few Ricardo will win a few but the problem for Albon was that he he never never showed up to any race and was quicker than Verstappen not one you know so you can't really say our oh, tracks didn't suit him or whatever like there wasn't one glimpse of real hope where Albon was even on the pace of Verstappen there wasn't one tell me one occasion where Albon did I, I can't think of one can either of no, you? There no, there wasn't. Because no. even Mugello, you know, it was the, the Red Bull Verstappen was clearly the second moved. fastest car. Oh, yeah. Verstappen didn't even enter the race. So, yeah. And that was, was the problem. Was and that was the problem for Red Bull. I think they would have maybe kept Albon had Red Bull um, had that advantage over the midfield for the entire season because Albon could have slotted in P4 most of the time. And we saw that in Mugello and a few other tracks where Red Bull were closer to Mercedes and further away from, from, the, from the midfield. But... When the midfield were nipping on the, the heels of Red Bull a few tenths behind Verstappen, that's when Albon just fell, just fell so far back and then just gets stuck and then complains about dirty air, the car not 
uh, driving properly. You know, they race me so hard was a very um, poor choice of words, wasn't it? Uh, at Nürburgring, I think it was. But look, there's yeah, no yeah. there's no doubting that Albon has an overtake in him. I think he's got great racecraft. I think when he tried to go around the outside of Hamilton, he thought he was in a simulator rather than the real thing. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it was still audacious. Too much twitch. And, and fair play for going for it. But he's got the 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 drive. I think he genuinely does have the eagerness to, to, to win and to, to do well, but just couldn't get his head around that red ball, which we saw with Pierre Gasly. So it's not, it could, it may not be the end for Alex Albon. He's got to think, count his lucky stars that he even got to Formula One because he wasn't even supposed to be there. Uh, he was supposed to drive in Formula E. So yeah, I, I, I reckon that Alex will still have a shot at a seat later down the line. It just depends how well Perez does, I guess. Uh, moving on. Moving on, unless Tommy, you have anything else to say. Moving on. No, I'm. I'm glad to be talking about Alex Albon for the last. <laughs> yes, yeah, last. Well, not in a horrible way, Alex. <laughs> not, the, not in a horrible just, way. Um, in terms of just uh, every yeah. question we always get yeah. on the podcast is about yeah, Alex Albon. About so, Alex. Um, let's talk about some more positive news and the the new winners in 2020, which uh, we have briefly touched on: Gasly in Monza and Perez in Sakir. Ellis Spearman 22 says, "Who was your shock performer of the year?" Someone who over or underperformed, considering the car or circumstances. Big question. Big question. Um, I think my shock of the year was Sebastian Vettel and how unbelievably off the pace he was for the majority of the year. I know people will get on their tinfoil hats and say it's this, that and the other. His car was had four brake horsepower, blah, blah, blah. It was still my shock of the year. Um but in terms of overperforming, I think Gasly. Gasly was 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 brilliant for a lot of the year. He fell off towards the end. Kvyat started to get a measure of him, but there were still so many standout performances from Gasly that he was my overperformer. Yeah, underperformer, definitely Sebastian Vettel. There's no two ways about it, regardless of whether the car's not suited to him. At the end of the day, he's a four-time world champion, and you know he's got he's got the chance for redemption now in a new team. So we'll see how that goes, but. In terms of just this season, yeah, 100% agree Vettel under, underperformed. Um, overperformed Gasly at the start of the season, Perez at the end of the season, I think, were the two sort of standouts in the midfield. Um, it's, it's been at the start of the season, Gasly, it was just like, oh my word, where's, <laughs> you know, Gasly just seems to be in the form of his life. And then at the end, that happened to Perez, where seemed like racing point that Perez seemed to get on top of it. Maybe you could argue maybe they were a bit more comfortably the third best car um, by the end of it, but Perez was absolutely maximizing it. I mean, you know, if, if things had gone another way um, that wasn't his fault, he could have maybe even ended the, the year with five consecutive podiums, which would have been an unbelievable performance. So yeah. Gas- Gasly and Prez and then you know shout out to Verstappen Leclerc but I mean they're they're just <laughs> you just expect that from them that's not that's not a disrespect if anything it's a compliment but you just those two are just proving to be next level and I think those two I guess the problem with Leclerc is he just had a bit of a few very silly moments as well which unfortunately ruined it for him but I've gone with similar you know, paths of things with you guys. I've put with impressed because these are drivers that I wouldn't expect to be as competitive as they were. I've seemed to have just collected a whole list of them. I've put Science, Gasly, Perez, Ricardo. I think Ricardo's had one of the best years of his F1 career. Uh, Lando Norris. I've put Leclerc in there, which, like you say, he had moments of complete stupidity, but then he's also had other moments of brilliance comparing it to somebody like Sebastian Vettel who is in my underperformed column because he just had a shocker of a year Stroll as well underperformed you know he had a great start to the year um but it just all seemed to fall apart from I think probably about Magello really um Albon and I've put Bottas in the underperformed column as well because I think this was probably his worst year with Mercedes in my opinion Interesting. I, I probably wouldn't have put Stroll in the underperform just as a general look at his whole mm. season. I think, yeah, it was disappointing, but then he's set some very high standards for himself being fourth in, in the championship going into to Mugello. So, 
a uh, bit harsh i think casey but fair enough it's your opinion i'm not gonna i'm not well i did just shut, shoot it down but look we, we can agree to disagree right Lovely. um me there's me coming to stroll's rescue who would have thought yeah uh, i don't i don't think i think stroll was a bit was extremely disappointing at the end of the season despite his his poll but yeah i think that the start of the season you need to see need to see more of that i think it's a worry for Racing Point and Aston Martin that they've essentially got two drivers that at the end of the season Finish, yeah, were, were really, uh, you know, if you look at a form guide and the two the two drivers that haven't been performing well, you'd say Stroll and Vettel. So it's their chance to sort of, you know, they, they need to sort of come back fighting and, and be be doing what Perez was doing in that car. Hopefully with a, Absolutely. A, new, a new name above the door as well. That might add some extra motivation and they can come into 2021. All guns blazing. That's what we want to see. Let's see. Let's. Uh, we'll, we'll, it's it's going to be an interesting pairing, that one. Very excited to see who comes out on top. I hope it's Vettel, just for the sake of his legacy. But let's move on. Uh, we've pretty much spoken about uh, the new tracks that came into the calendar. Takumi GSR says, which of the new tracks of the 2020 calendar would you like to see return on a regular basis? All right, let's do it this way. Mugello, Imla, Nürburgring, Portimao, Turkey. If you had to pick one, what would you choose and why? My one would be, I've put myself on the spot, but I'm going to go with Turkey. And because it's mental, even though we will not get the track surface like that again, I just love the track. Really glad to see it back. And the fact that there was just chaos just added some extra amazingness yeah uh my my i've gone for two um port portimao and turkey yeah i can't decide I, I guess if you've gone turkey then i'll say portimao but i feel like turkey we were it was a really good race no doubt um one of the best of the the year i would uh, it's a shame because i would really like to see another race at turkey where we get to see it in the dry in all its glory where people are go going flat flat out and we get to see another race like that um but portimao i think is so well suited to modern f1 and it just showed that it's just the better the better barcelona as we said at the time well guys you're gonna love me because i've gone for completely the opposite which seems to be tradition on this podcast now um <laughs> i said i like them here all. we go here we go right Get ready, guys. I said I like Sakir because that really surprised me. I thought it was going to be completely terrible and it actually ended up being one of the best races of the year. And I said Nürburgring as well because... Oh, okay, Sakir. So we're, we're putting the short in the new track element. Okay, all right, so. all right, all right. Half, half new. Yeah, okay. can. Yeah. Half new. I, but anyway. I kind of forgot about that, to be honest. Um, and I also said that tracks like Nürburgring had more consistent action than somewhere like Portugal, which, I mean, had one of the best opening few laps to a race we've seen in years and years and years and i think my three word race review at the time was make portugal permanent but um it then became quite stagnant afterwards you know when looking at my my race review all my two-thirds of it was like lap one lap one lap two all the things that happened and then it sort of was like lap 33 lap 45 um and i said turkey was fun but it was because a big part of it was because of the track surface and it was a bit like dancing on ice so I don't know if I'd really rather prioritise something like Turkey over Nürburgring. But anyway, I'm here all day with unpopular opinions to get shot down. So come at yeah, me. Yeah, you're trying to trigger me here, Katie. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're speaking badly of Turkey and we haven't even seen it. High speed. Um, but I think it would be awesome. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I, I mean, I, there wasn't really a tracks. wrong answer, to be honest. They were all yeah. pretty good. That's true. Apart from maybe Imola was a bit meh. Apart from but, Katie's answer. Um, yeah, apart from Katie's answer. Uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, moving on. Uh, we've spoken about tracks, I think, enough. Uh, Lewis Hamilton, of course. How can we forget? Seven-time world champion. Um, yeah, I mean, he's just every single season rocks up and is just ridiculous. He's at, in a different level. Um, doesn't get the praise he deserves, I don't think, at this stage, but just purely because he's deemed as having a, the best car. And I don't think it helped that George Russell popped into to his car and pretty much beat well would have beaten Bottas and taken the win um but I don't think it takes anything away from the consistency from Lewis Hamilton and just what he brings to a team it's no mistake as well that you know he's there and Mercedes he doesn't just get in that the, the thing that really triggers me and I'm not trying to get angry or go on a rant here is that people think that Lewis will rock up at 10 a.m 
pop in for FP1, do a few laps, go back to the hotel or something, or just chill out, back to back for FP2. You know, he puts in so much work. All the drivers put in so much work. But the teams that move forward or stay at the front, it is, it is clear that it's not just the engineers. Like The drivers have to give a huge amount of feedback and work so hard in order to nail the setup week in, week out, and all that sort of stuff that it, it kills me that Lewis Hamilton is, is almost like deemed as, oh, well, he wins because he's in the best car. But he literally makes the car with the team. Uh, anyway, let's yeah. not get angry. But do, do you get what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can see his, um, you know, he, he, he returned after one race in Abu Dhabi, wasn't 100% fit. Um, mentioned that he lost, was it four kilos, six kilos? Can't remember what it was, four kilos due to COVID or something. And, you know, He's straight back in the gym saying, like, need to get back on it. And I think what what impresses me most about Hamilton, and I know, again, this is the most annoying argument in the world, that, oh, he's always had the best car, which he hasn't. And, you know, he's had a winning car, yes, but he has won in every season that he's competed in, and teammates in that car haven't always won uh, in those seasons. And I think the most impressive thing, like you say, is the fact that he's just on it and he just doesn't doesn't quit like he never seems to have a day off which i'm sure is a pain for bottas because (laughs) you know bottas should be there to pick up the pieces but hamilton more more than ever now just seems to just be relentless with it and just getting better with age and even you know when you don't think he's not he's going to do it in races like turkey he just pulls out an unbelievable performance so yeah i think this year Yes, his car was amazing, but it's what you do with it. I think I still still think Verstappen's answer to that question in the press conference was absolutely perfect, where he said, of course you need him in the car because he's going to make a difference when things are not going right. And that's exactly what he did in Turkey. He is so focused and determined. And like you guys have said, it's no coincidence that the Mercedes is just so good. Yes, they've got hundreds of thousands of people in their factory back in Brackley and all around the world that make sure that car is competitive as it is. But Hamilton and Bottas, you know, they both have a part to play in making sure that car is one of the best that we've seen in this era of F1. And like you say, it does frustrate me too when, you know, I mean, recently Hamilton won Sports Personality of the Year, for example, and that triggered a lot of people on Twitter who don't watch F1 I mean, you don't have to watch F1, you know, everybody's entitled to their own favourite sports and stuff. But the people who were saying, oh, it's ridiculous that he's won this. All he does is drive around in circles in a car that's, you know, 100 times faster than everybody else's. And that's just so not true. And I'm sure all F1 fans watching this were probably as triggered as I was to see all of these things on social media. I avoided responding to any as much as I wanted to. But he's, <laughs> it's, you know, that balance of man and machine and Hamilton just completely aces it every time. So, yeah, I'm, I'm pleased yeah. that he's got that seventh title. Just, a, just imagine how much more simple life would be if you had one of their brains. Like, just, you know, oh, yeah. just going around, around in circles, that's, mate. Yeah, yeah it's, just, it's easy. Uh, I mean, oh. the, the, that's the thing. They don't see all the, the fitness and how much, you know, they have to, you know, it's not, you're not driving, you know, uh, a mini cooper around tesco <laughs> car park are you it's it's completely different i think the the best response that i've seen to that about you know hamilton the best car i think um it was near niran i think if yeah quite a lot of people know that um said something along the lines of the official you know, fng yeah yeah uh the Lionel messi would not be considered the world's greatest footballer if he was playing for scunthorpe united you need some part of it but but you know that's a team sport as well and the the cre the, you know he's the best and he's got into a really good team and been able to prove himself hamilton's got into a really good team and been able to prove himself it's it's the same thing like the the best car argument is just the most frustrating thing to watch and the most annoying thing about it this year is people have short memories the t- 2017 and 2018 ferrari were a lot closer you know Vettel was leading the seasons for a lot of the part and then Hamilton just turned up at the end of the season and was just relentless and just 
one less races and you could argue that that for, the ferrari was on the pace of mercedes that year and because i think bottas maybe won one race uh in 2018 maybe didn't even win a race at all um so yeah people people are just using the 2020 mercedes as a way to sort of diminish all his other achievements which is is not is not right uh, what have we got next? Oh, yeah, question. A. O. Modamola has asked, as Hamilton eclipsed Schumacher records, do you see him as the greatest driver? Oh, I'm not going to open this can of worms. I'm really not. It's... It, of an era, you can say... You can, you can judge, right? You can say, in Schumacher's era, Schumacher was the best. In Hamilton's era, you have... Yeah, he was, he's the best. Uh, I don't think you can deny that. Hamilton has proved that he has the adaptability of a driver to drive any kind of car. Yes, they are quick. But any kind of car... Like, he's not a Sebastian Vettel, for example, who would win in a Red Bull that suited his driving style and that was it. But then as soon as he went and got a car that he didn't like so much or he moved to Ferrari and didn't get a car he particularly liked as much either, it showed. But with Hamilton, it just didn't ever seem to really pick up as obviously people have preferences but the difference is Hamilton has shown that he can win in every single season he's taken part in uh, and that for me yes Hamilton is the best of this current era of drivers I, you can't say of all time in my opinion but yes he's in that conversation but you can never label someone as the goat in my opinion yeah it's impossible to compare eras there's no right or wrong answer at the end of the day it's just it's just opinion for me Hamilton I think is has definitely put himself in that ballpark and people that say Hamilton's the greatest of all time I don't begrudge people for saying that because I think what he's done you know on track and off it as well I think this we've not really gone into this too much but the stuff Hamilton's doing off track as well like launching his own you know committee and trying to get more people into the sport and make it a more diverse sport he's done so much in the sport whilst somehow not being distracted by it all and being absolute you know relentless winner at the same time so i think for me that that puts him on you know an even an even greater level and i think it's only really when hamilton retires i think people will uh, certain people anyway will give him the credit he deserves you know say 20 years time when there's someone new um there'll be so many people on twitter going oh well you know, this guy's nowhere near as good as Hamilton was. It's just, it would just go on and on and on. And that's just, that is just how F1 works. It is a cycle. I think Hamilton is also a very different kind of driver to somebody like Schumacher. Schumacher could be quite hot-headed, quite controversial on some occasions on track, whereas Hamilton seems to just get into the car, drives fast and does the job, as much as that sounds like I'm now fueling the people that says Hamilton just gets in a car and drives circles, but we move. Um, reliability has also played a massive part in Hamilton's um, you know, process of being where he is. He's also avoided causing himself to crash out as well, which is, you know, I'm not just saying Hamilton's only got the seven titles because he's in a car that never breaks. But I think you're right in saying that he's undoubtedly one of the greatest of our generation, if not the greatest. But as you said, F1 is a sport that has got so much history and because it is that man and machine balance, the machine part of it is always ever-changing, always modifying. And it's so difficult to make a fair comparison on the human side of things. Obviously, you can look at driving styles and things like that, but there's always going to be, you know, the reliability or choosing the right, uh, the wrong car at the I don't know what I'm trying to say. You know what I mean? Like, get choose the wrong car for your time of career. Like, look at Fernando Alonso, for example. He could probably have way more titles if he had not made the decision to jump from team to team and sort of pick the wrong places to go. Burn every bridge he's crossed. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, um, exactly. So I think it's a difficult one. But I do think that Hamilton is one of the greatest of all time in F1. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Uh, people love to get our opinions on it, and we always balance on that fence. Um, what happened <laughs> to Bottas? Let's briefly talk about this. I don't think it needs a huge amount because um, it's pretty clear to see that he just didn't turn up. Uh, Row underscore 183. What happened to Bottas this season? No doubt he is a quality driver, but is it his bad luck or Merck restricted him with strategies? Oh, I mean, 
okay, yes, he, he had a few times where he asked for a certain strategy and Mercedes went, no, that's not how we do things. And then Hamilton ended up doing things that maybe if Bottas had tried, I, I think it was in qualifying, I can't remember which track it was, where Hamilton went out three times and got pole um, in, in Q3. I can't remember off the top of my head which one it was. But, yeah. uh, Although no, Bottas didn't want to go out then. We, no, we no that, that, that's what I mean. And that's, that yeah, was yeah. something that was highlighted, but when you actually look yeah. into it, you go, well, actually, that, that wasn't quite the same thing. Um, but... Bottas just wasn't there. He wasn't in the fight as much as he always starts strong <laughs> every year. I mean, what is it? Like, does he just run out of porridge after round one or something? I really, I don't get it. Uh, but, but yeah, <laughs> it's, so funny, uh, Bot- yeah. It's, it's just a, a very curious thing. Um, Bottas, I think, has now got to the stage where he doesn't believe he can win. Maybe coming into Mercedes, he thought maybe he had a chance, but I feel like his confidence has been knocked pretty much all the way to number two driver now. Um, and I don't see him challenging Hamilton at all next year. Hopefully it's a jinx. But now that I've said that, it probably won't be and it'll come true. But <laughs> yeah, I, it's he just hasn't been there. He hasn't been consistent. He's never been consistent enough over a season. As much as I get my hopes up, I'm like, come on, Bottas, this is the year we're going to get a championship fight. You're the only one that can give us a championship fight in that car, please. Uh, but then he, you know, gets beaten by George Russell, uh, or would have been. But yeah, it's just such a weird situation. And it just kind of sums up that Bottas doesn't have the minerals to beat the potential greatest of all time. Yeah, you make, <laughs> it's a bit of a cliche, but you do a lot of the time, like you make your own luck. And I think I don't buy the, the Bottas bad luck thing at all. I don't, I don't really get, why that narrative has sort of come out at the end of the season. Yes, there's been a few moments where Bottas has been a little bit unlucky. Um, a few thousands thinking, behind Hamilton in qualifying is mainly the thing that people are yeah, I guess, of, I guess, alluding to. Yeah, I guess, say like Imola, where finally he got ahead of Bottas and then he ran over a Ferrari wing and it damaged he his got, car. Bottas but at the end of the day, Sorry, Bottas got, finally got ahead of Hamilton. And <laughs> Bottas got ahead of himself. <laughs> the fact that he was leading, he was, yeah, like the fact that finally he's leading and then he hits the debris first, gets a damaged car. That's one incident. You know, you can you can say, oh, Hamilton yeah. was really unlucky in Monza because of the the fact that he was leading. And then you'd go, well, this is this is where Bottas has now got luck because Lewis Hamilton has been dropped yeah. right to the back and, and Bottas still didn't win the race when the only cars in front of him was uh, Alpha Tauri and McLaren and uh, a racing point. And it's and not then... like, it's, it's not like, sorry, Tommy, it's not like Bottas finished 20 points behind Hamilton. Hamilton yeah, was on is... 347 points, Bottas 223 and had an extra race. And, I will, uh, and another argument who no one no one seems to say that Max Verstappen was really unlucky and he had five DNFs that weren't his fault and still almost beat Bottas in the championship. Uh, five DNFs. That, you know, that's a quarter of the, over a quarter of the season that he's not finished and he's still almost beating Bottas. Bottas didn't have anywhere near that many retirements that weren't, you know, his fault and stuff. And, you can look back and say, oh, Bottas has had, you know, a couple of retirements, whereas Hamilton never retires. But you, you can't just add 25 points on every time Bottas retires. I'm thinking uh, Nürburgring when he had the problem and did retire. It came after he locked up, had a massive flat spot, lost the lead to Hamilton. You know, is that is that bad luck? Do you, do you know what I mean? There's I don't I don't buy the the narrative. Like sometimes you do make your own luck. He's in the the dream car that everyone wants to be in. How is that unlucky? We've just spent the whole podcast talking about how these new tracks have been able to produce some really surprising and unexpected results. You know, people on the podium that we weren't anticipating. And like you say, Tommy, it's in those moments where maybe Lewis had struggled or things like that, that Valtteri should just be completely grabbing it with both hands and, you know, putting himself in that first place position. And he just wasn't. And he'd had so many shocking starts this year. It seemed every other race, you know, whether he started on pole position or he started second, he either fell back or, um, you know, didn't didn't really do anything, didn't go and try and overtake Hamilton. I think just looking at Sakir, for example, Russell starting in second and 
Russell was so close to Bottas as well in that qualifying session that Russell was just absolutely able to give it the beans and get into turn one first ahead of Bottas. Yes, Russell is, you know, an exceptionally talented driver, but that shouldn't be happening. Bottas should know that car inside out. He should know exactly what to do and, you know, how to to put his foot on the gas as soon as those lights go out. And it just hasn't happened for him this year. And there's so many occasions of where he's lost, you know, like four or five places on the opening lap. I'm trying to think back. I think it was probably in Monza, maybe, or um, if not Tuscany. But he had real troubling starts and um i mean also looking at turkey you know he qualified ninth yes the track conditions were completely mad and it was a quite a disturbed session but he then finished the race 14th and had about a thousand spins in the process whereas you look at hamilton who had obviously the same car and had the issues that all the other drivers on the track suffered from which was the the difficult track conditions but he still managed to make it work and then got the victory so I think he's nah, a good bad num- luck, mate. Bad, bad luck. luck. Bad yeah, luck. Clearly, bad clearly luck. Bad luck. I think Honestly. he's he's a good he just, number He just two kept driver. coming across lots of banana yeah. banana skins. Yeah. Every time someone was pushing his rear round, like it just there's mm. just people on the track just pushing. Yeah. Disgusting. It's shocking. But, yeah, I mean, you know, hopefully Bottas doesn't get as much bad luck next year of spinning <laughs> on his own. Uh, right, moving on. <laughs> Ferrari's nightmare season. Uh, at Chocky underscore milk underscore man says, can you see Ferrari <laughs> getting back to the top of the pack in 2021? Or will 2022 be the year? 2021, if you're a Ferrari fan, get just put it in the bin. Yeah. Go and watch something else. If you are genuinely, if you just want to see Ferrari do well, don't bother next year. It is, it is a write-off. It's going to be exactly the same as this year. 22, however... Who knows? We could have Williams at the front. That's the that's the exciting nature of the new regulations. I think a lot of the teams, especially the likes of Ferrari, won't be putting a lot of effort into 21 because they're too far behind. They can't get the gap back, although they do say they've got a better engine up there for next year or something. But either or, I don't think you could get a worse engine. It needs to be a rocket ship. Because Leclerc yeah. and Vettel, I'm pretty sure, were pedalling round for most of last season. So or this season just gone. Uh, but yeah, I think 21, write it off, Ferrari fans. Go into hibernation, stick your head in the sand, whatever you want to do. And then 22, you just got to hope to God that Ferrari have sorted it out. Because if they haven't in 22, it might be a very long wait. Yeah, they've got... So so the rules are... Um, I mean, I'm sure everyone knows by now, but the, the rules are obviously staying the same and they've delayed the, the big rule change that was going to be 2021 an extra year because of COVID. Um, there is... Uh, I mean, for for the people that love a conspiracy theory, the the wind tunnel time that you get uh, for your 2022 car is based on how low you finish down this uh, in the 2020 championship. So the fact that Ferrari have had a shocking season mean they'll get loads of wind tunnel time for 2022. I don't think they've written off a whole season. You know, all that embarrassment. Surely not just for just for that. Um, but there's one for the conspiracy theorists. But yeah, there, there's not going to be a lot of change. I think the most interesting thing is just going to be how science can do compared to Vettel um, next year. But I mean, there's not there's no expectation on Ferrari next year, as far as I'm concerned. It's it's all down to 2022. If they're that bad in 2022, that's when we need to be like, okay, Ferrari, what is going on here? And but that's when next, we could yeah. see Ferrari leave the sport, right? I mean, that, you know, <laughs> if they're not at the, yeah, exactly, not at the yeah. top, that Ferrari have no reason to be in Formula One, in my opinion. Yeah, exactly. Apart so we just need hundreds to hundreds of millions that they get paid every year. But apart from that, I agree. <laughs> well, they don't get paid. They don't get paid that anymore, do they? they... Yeah, I think they're getting rid of that now. So yeah. Oh, bye yeah, Ferrari. So... See you later. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I think Savage. you guys pretty much hit the nail on the head. I very much doubt that, like you say, unless they fit a rocket ship to the back of their their cars next year it's probably going to be much of the same hopefully it won't be quite as an embarrassing year as 2020 has been for them you know their worst constructors result in 40 years but i don't know i think charles leclerc is going to have a lot of pressure on his shoulders because i think quite a lot of ferrari fans and probably people within ferrari you know are now going to look to him for that guidance and support that sebastian vettel was able to give them this year I think they'll hopefully let Carlos, you know, sort of get his feet. What's the feet under the rug? Is that a phrase or have I just made that up? (laughs) 
I, sure. I, I, we'll go with it. But you know, get sounds settled. like you've. Yeah. I think I've just made that up, guys. But sounds like, I'm, sounds I'm, like I'm pretty phrase. sure. Why would why would you be settled if your feet is under the rug? That sounds more like a trip hazard. <laughs> Yeah. Right. What I meant to say is, <laughs> get settled. Let Carlos get settled. Yeah. I don't know why I'm coming up with all these random phrases, but um, I hopefully that they're a bit more competitive next year. Is what I'm trying to get at, but it seems unlikely. Cool. It's all right. We've all had some Baileys before we came on. Yeah, I, I'm literally looking at Christmas. two massive bottles of Prosecco in my kitchen as I'm recording <laughs> this. <laughs> we don't know where we are, really, do we? Let's be real. Um, we're not drunk, by the way. No, no, no. But, yeah. Um, I mean, to be fair, who cares if we were? <laughs> it's Christmas. Um, but yeah, I think that sums up pretty much Ferrari and their hopes and dreams moving forward. Uh, best and worst races. Danny King, Danny 87 King asks best and worst races of the year? Question mark. Oh, God, I've got to do that on a whim, have I? Um, OK. Uh, poor. Best race. Oh, that's so difficult. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm going to say Turkey was was one of the best ones was yeah. it the best probably yeah. maybe it's really hard to in terms of judge. chaos because there's so many different ways you can judge it yeah because monza i'd argue wasn't wheel-to-wheel action incredible but it was just so exciting because it's been years and years and years and years since we've had anyone other than you know mercedes leading the race and or, or you know someone quite random with the chance to win a race so it was so exciting and then the fact that science was closing him down but realistically there wasn't actually loads of wheel-to-wheel action um and and my worst race is spain okay mine my i mean my worst race is abu dhabi just i know i know it's like fresh in the mind but i think i think it's just because i think it made it worse as well because of how um how good sakir was uh, it 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 was like oh my god, what a season! This is the best season ever. And then, and I love how you're saying that. Fell when off a Verstappen won. <laughs> yeah, I think I forgot to mention that in the podcast. Verstappen won, and I felt nothing. That's how bad the race was. Shocking. <laughs> yeah, I've said my yeah. two favourites were Monza and Turkey. If I had to pick one, I'd probably say Monza, um, and then boring. There are quite a lot: Spain, Russia, Abu Dhabi, Hungary, Syria, but. Yeah, I think that's the thing. It was it, it's it. I feel like it's a proper half and half season yeah. where you can list like half the races dreadful, half the races amazing. Mm. Seems seems that way. And we didn't even go to Paul Ricard. I know. What a shame! Can't can't <laughs> can win them imagine? all. Imagine, <laughs> I know, such a shame. That was definitely going to be the best race. Uh, no. Right, okie dokie. Let's let's turn our attentions to ABCDF one, the the favourite part of everybody's evenings, mornings, afternoons, whenever you're listening. Uh, the legendary Tune Fix Two on Twitter has done another table. If you're a resident member of the the WTF One podcast, you've been around for a long time, you'll know that Tune Fix Two has done it uh, in previous seasons as well. Uh, and the average scores for drivers we've got in right now. And uh, the winner of the whole season was Nico Hulkenberg, which uh, I guess is a, is a little bit skewed. So I'm actually going to just remove him completely, unfortunately. Sorry, Hulk, you did great, but come on. <laughs> Finally uh, gets on the podium. Yeah. So the list, so the list uh, was uh, Lewis Hamilton uh, with 5.13. So five is an A, right? Uh, I guess go based on the... the column on the right which is like it gives you an a and then it's like a grade from nine being the best a to one being okay a rubbish so nine is the top of an a one is the bottom of a grade okay cool so lewis so hamilton like a6 is like yeah an a star and a half <laughs> <laughs> wait what an a, an a and a half no, so like a, so, a star so, and a half. Yeah, so a he's got an, he got an A. His average was an A. Why would you say a star and a half? A. That's that's even more confusing, Tommy. That's wrong. Sorry, yeah. Sorry, yeah. An A right. and a half. Listen, I'm glad Tommy's here not we go. My GCSEs. <laughs> Nine is the top of a grade. One is the bottom of a grade. So that'd be a B minus or an A B plus, right? Okay. So Lewis Hamilton A six, Max Verstappen A three, Sergio Perez B nine, Carlos Sainz B nine, Lando Norris B eight, Daniel Ricciardo B eight. Pierre Gasly, B7. Charles Leclerc, B5. George Russell, B3. Valtteri actually goes down to zero. Valtteri Bottas, B0. Pietro Fittipaldi, B0. Lance Stroll, C9. Danny Kvyat, C9. Kimi Raikkonen, C7. Esteban Ocon, C6. Kevin Magnussen, C5. Jack Aitken, C5. Roman Grosjean, C3. Antonio Giovinazzi, C3. Sebastian Vettel, 
in 21st place, if we count Hulkenberg, 20th if not, C2, Nicholas Latifi, C1, and Alex Alban, D9. Oof. So he was the only Scary. man to finish in the Ds, unfortunately, Mr. Mr. Alex Alban. Uh, we won't get into that. We won't bash him anymore. We know the reasons why he got those grades. Uh, whether you agree with them or not, we don't really care. But I'm sure you will let us know either way uh, if you do agree with that. But I think our power rankings or our, our ABCDEF1 was actually quite similar to the power rankings for F1 most weeks. So no complaints. Yeah. We're not talking rubbish. Um, OK, thank you so much, TuneFix2, for that. Uh, we now get into the final part, which is our top five drivers of the year in order now okay brilliant okay so tommy you've changed that now because originally it was our top five drivers of the year in in no particular order now we're doing in order are no, we? oh are we doing it in order it, uh, no, have i didn't to. have to do it in order i thought i just thought okay just because okay. i think i just that throws another element of angering people oh, listening okay to this. you know oh, what i mean okay. yeah yeah you know what yeah. i mean you thought I, yeah. I i put verstappen as my top driver of the year come on i thought Actually, you I did to be fair i didn't say that because now people uh, anyway <laughs> My top five drivers of the year in no particular order are Verstappen, Hamilton, Perez, Gasly and Sainz. Tommy. Right, I'm not going to be a bottle job, but also a bit of a bottle job. So I think that the driver of the year quite easily is Lewis Hamilton. Then the second best driver of the year quite easily is Max Verstappen. And then for third place, I found it extremely difficult to decide between Perez, Ricardo, Sainz, Leclerc, and Gasly. And I think that, to be fair, reflects in the ABCD EF1 rankings where they're all extremely close. I'm going to go Perez, Ricardo, and Sainz. Okay. okay so then, Mine yeah. in no particular order, which I did change because I put them, copied and pasted them into the chat and I got completely cancelled. So now I'm chickening yeah, out and changing I mean, it. Yeah, didn't make any sense. Anyway, carry on. I know I can't believe I put Sebastian Vettel as my driver of the season. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've said Perez, Hamilton, Ricardo, Verstappen and then Gasly as my top five. Okay, people are going to be angry now that Tommy's done a rating and we haven't. I'm going to rate it right oh, now. Hamilton no. driver of the year, yes. Verstappen second. Perez third. Everyone else, difficult. Perez third, Sainz fourth, Gasly fifth, Ricardo sixth, Leclerc seventh. There you go. Okay. I'm not too. Yeah, I wouldn't disagree with that too much. Yeah. It's. I just find it really hard from third it's, down. It's annoying that Gasly really finishes. Similar. Gasly finishes season so badly. Not badly, but I mean, in terms of comparing it to Kvyat, he finished a little bit meh. But if it just continued a decent run of form, I think he would have easily uh, been in fourth. But yeah, yeah, I think if you flip. <laughs> It's quite easy to remember like how the season ended. If you flip Gasly and Perez's wins round, mm. we'd all be lauding yeah, Gasly. Yeah, if, so true. I think, or if uh, we'd stopped difficult. at Mugello, Stroll would be in this list. Katie. <laughs> true. I will go Hamilton, Verstappen, Perez, Ricardo, Gasly as my top five. Okay, so lovely. those last... Yeah, there's, it's been a... I think it's really easy, the first two, and then the next five are just really hard to mm. choose. Because I think if you think Leclerc's had such a good year but he's made some mistakes that has just dropped his average down so much. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. Well, there you go. Cool. Lots of talking points um, that I'm sure you'll be disagreeing or agreeing in the comments. Please be nice yeah, with put everybody. Your, put your top five in the comments. Uh, yeah, yeah, put your top if five uh, drivers of the year in the comments and, well, we'll, uh, we'll see what uh, storm that produces. <laughs> um, but, yeah. On a brief, just to talk about 2020, thank you so much to, to everybody that has listened to the podcast, supported the content, uh, you know, replied to us on Twitter, get involved with us on social media, anything and everything, uh, even if it's just watching. Uh, genuinely, your support has been amazing this year, that the channel has continued to go from strength to strength, especially on socials as well, you know, YouTube, everything. Um, and, and we absolutely love providing you with this content even though I still can't wrap my head around why anyone watches us three talk but hey it's as long as people like it we'll continue to produce the content <laughs> but um but we, we really hope that we can we can meet you guys um in 2021 we get to to meet more of you see some of you that we've spoken to before uh, at tracks at events things like that because we really do miss that side of the job at least I do um and I, I genuinely hope you all have a, an amazing New Year's. It has been Christmas, so I hope you, or whatever you celebrate, I hope you've had an amazing holidays with your family if you have been able to see them. Um, and then in the new year, I hope it's amazing and we have a much better 21. Uh, fingers crossed. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, hard, to, hard to add to that. 
and you know how good I Tommy, am at final, final thoughts. thoughts. <laughs> you know how good I am at final thoughts, but no, completely agree. Um, yeah, appreciate all you know all the the support. I, I still it's unfortunate that we've not been able to you know meet anyone at races because it was so amazing last year when we got to meet people and they you know told us face to face. But it's nice that um, you know we've had some messages of people saying that which which you said is so bizarre to me as well but that enjoy this podcast so much and listen to it every single week and it's helped them through a difficult year which i find you know crazy but i'm glad we could be part of that so yeah happy new year everyone um and i'd also just like to say a huge thank you to everybody for making me feel so welcome because i joined wtf1 back in october um and obviously was a a new face on the podcast and everybody has sent me such lovely messages even though some of my opinions might be a bit spicy but um yeah a huge thanks to everybody for welcoming me to the wtf1 community with such open arms and like the boys said i hope you had a lovely time over the holidays um and have a happy healthy and successful 2021 and hopefully we'll see you next year Awesome stuff. Yeah, it's been great to have you uh, on the podcast, Katie, and I guess it's been all right to have you still here, Tommy. I know. Just, with... just kind of bored of you at this point. I'm joking. <laughs> I, can't, I can't even keep a straight face to that. Uh, it's been a pleasure, both of you guys, uh, for, for creating content throughout the year uh, and for you guys for listening. Uh, also, check out ExpressVPN that's uh, sponsoring this podcast as well. Uh, the links will be in the description as per always. And uh, that's it. If you want to send us any suggestions for 2021, use the hashtag WTF1podcast. Get involved with us on social media. And that is pretty much it. I'm not going to leave it with more final thoughts because I feel like you've both wrapped it up beautifully. So we'll see you, all of you, you wonderful people in 2021. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Oh, waving for the last time this year. It's so sad. Oh, it's so emotional that I'm going to be speaking to you next week when it's 21. Yeah, perfect. (laughs) I know. (laughs) (laughs) Like anything changes. Bye. Bye. Bye.